baptism is a symbol, and today we're kicking off a message series called Symbols. And symbols are all around us. You've seen them even on your drive into church today. You perhaps saw a red light. That red light tells you because it's a symbol to stop, or you saw a green light and that tells you to go, or you saw a yellow light, which of course means speed up and hurry up a little bit and get through this intersection, right? Symbols are all around us. You might have a symbol on your hand right now, uh, a wedding ring, right, which doesn't marry you, but it symbolizes you're married. Um, it's possible you have that, right? Some of you have gifts given to, pe- uh, given to you by people who care for you, and maybe you're wearing one today, and that gift, that thing you're wearing, perhaps uh, becomes a symbol of not the thing itself, but the love that was expressed in the giving of that gift to you. And in a few days, as a church, we're going to worship together in a symbol called baptism. If you haven't been baptized and you've put your faith in Jesus, now, we would like for you to consider being baptized. That's going to happen at the end of this month, March uh, 26th. There are several people getting baptized. And there's another symbol that our church is participating in today. At the end of our second service, we have some families that are bringing their children for dedication to the Lord. Uh, they're coming together. They're going to have lunch on us. They're going to hear a little bit about the power of parenting on purpose with God in your life. In fact, I want you to see those kids because they're a part of our family. Guys, do you have that picture for child dedication right there? That's Christian and Cannon. They're getting baptized today. And uh, show us the next one there. There's Gideon. Love that name right there, Gideon. Go ahead. There's Lane getting baptized. And I think we have one more. Olivia is getting, uh, getting dedicated today, rather. And so they're going to come together at the end of second service, have lunch on us. They're joining our church family. Uh, we believe in church growth around here, and we think this is a great way to grow them. You guys have more kids, all right? Just have more and more kids. Hey, I want to talk to you today, though, about other symbols that you see. Other symbols all around us, baptism, child dedication, marriage, red lights, green lights, that sort of thing. But today, I want to direct you to a symbol that you walked in, uh, perhaps if you came in the front door, you walked under, and it's, uh, it's our church logo. And uh, it's not uh, the same level of weight, perhaps, that baptism is, but it does represent something that's very important to all of us if we're followers of Jesus. So in your message notes that were on your seat when you came in, if you want to open them up, you have uh, this, this little program here. The front is about baptism, and the back are save the dates. There's a copy of our of our church logo there, and I think we have a symbol of it for you on the screens as well. There it is. And I wanted to just walk you through this because I want to direct you to one portion of this logo and the reason why it is a logo for us. Um, When you see it, you can see that there are kind of like four points, right? And so four corners, four points on the logo. You can kind of make out a circle there, right? So there's the globe. And the idea here is that from Peter's vision in the book of Acts, that the gospel from that point on went to the four corners of the world. That's the way the Bible describes it. That's where our name comes from, the four corners of the globe. The gospel goes around the world. But the other thing that may not be immediately obvious to you is that those points are actually arrows, So there's arrows going out, representing the four winds of the earth, if you will. But today, we're going to talk about the arrows that are pointing in. Those are the black arrows at the center, and they're pointing in. And in fact, if you look at them more closely, they form the symbol of the cross. But those arrows pointing in are what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the fact that God wants his children to grow. There's an internal growth that happens in churches corporately, but there's an internal growth that happens in your life as well. God's desire for every single person is that we would grow spiritually. In fact, that's the first blank right here. God's will for every believer is spiritual maturity. God's will for you today is spiritual maturity. 
God wants every person who's put their faith in him through the work of Jesus Christ to grow up and become a spiritually mature person. Now that phrase can get lost on us. Spiritually mature. What does it mean? How do we do it? How do we grow? How do I know if I'm spiritually mature? And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this because there's nothing more important to your life with Christ than your growth with Christ. There's nothing more important to your life with Christ than your growth in Christ. Sometimes in church, you can get the impression that what's most important is is that you give your life over to Jesus. And that is incredibly important. And I would make the case that it's the most important thing. But sometimes when we say it's the most important thing, it doesn't give appropriate weight to the other side of the coin, which is as soon as you give your life to Christ, he starts you on a journey of growth. He wants you to grow up and become mature in him. And the process of spiritual maturity sometimes isn't as obvious as that moment of decision you can make when you ultimately give your life over to him. But your spiritual growth is a process. And today, we're going to start uncovering that. And we're going to focus primarily from our passage at the top of your notes, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15. This is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Almost every message has an Ephesians reference in it that I provide because I go back to it for so many great things. So Ephesians chapter 4 talks to us about spiritual maturity. And it lays out the vision really for the church wide, for all of us. But in that, there are particular points for you as an individual. And we're going to discover those today. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what our Bible says. So Christ gave himself, or he gave, so Christ gave himself, excuse me, so Christ himself. How's that? Can we just start over? Just wind back about 30 seconds. Here we go, Ephesians 4, all right? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, those five titles, those are just church leaders. And they have more meaning than that. But for our purposes today, God gave leaders in the church, whoever they are, volunteer, not volunteer, whatever office they hold, leaders in the church, here's what they're there for. Here's why there are leaders in the church. You may not know this. Like, why does somebody be a pastor? What does God want to do with that? Well, here it is, all right? He gave leaders in the church to equip his people. God wants to equip God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ, that's a metaphor for the church, so that the church may be built up. So church leaders are there to equip people to do service so that the church can grow up. Pretty pretty clear in the Bible why church leaders exist. And here's what we're being built up to, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we're building each other up until we hit this point, which, by the way, we haven't hit yet. Until we're all in unity in the faith, we all have a good and robust understanding of the knowledge of the Son of God. We have a clear theology or a doctrine or an understanding of who Jesus is and the impact of his life. And then we ultimately become mature. And we know we're mature when we attain the whole measure of all that God wants for us, the fullness of Christ. Now, look look what happens when when this happens. And this is what God wants for you. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. God doesn't want that for you and for me. 
Instead, he wants us to speak the truth in love. When we do that, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. When we allow God to grow us, we become that mature body of Christ. And the world is changed because of that. And your life is changed when spiritual maturity begins to mark your way. And that's why when we, as a congregation, when we're first starting and we landed on this logo, we both wanted to have arrows pointing out saying, we'll take you no matter who you are. You can experience real love now, even if you don't agree with us about anything. But once we get you in, we're going to speak the truth in love in hopes that you'll come to understand who Jesus is. And when that happens and you commit your life to him, we want to help you grow up. We, we exist for Christians so that they can grow up in the faith. And when they do that, they're not tossed about by life, by every wind, by every wave, by crazy ideas about life and God that might come through. But instead, you'll be mature in the faith. Now, this idea of maturity, though, is a little complex. It's not quite as obvious, perhaps, as it might seem. So today, we're going to explode six different myths about spiritual maturity. And then we're going to look to the scripture, and we're going to understand why some believers don't grow. And I know better as a teacher than to only focus on the negative, but I think as we look at the myths, which are kind of a negative, and then we look at why people don't grow, you're smart people, we'll be able to connect the dots then on how we might be able to begin growing. All right, so let's talk about a few of these spiritual myths. Here's myth number one. Spiritual growth is automatic. That's a myth. Spiritual growth is automatic. The myth here is based on the idea that once you commit your life to Jesus, well, you begin to grow. And over the passage of time, this is because time passes, you're growing in the faith. And while your faith may have started off very small, while your you know, relationship with God, your understanding of that, your maturity in that way have been very small, just give it a few years and you'll get there. But that's simply not true. That's not the way it works. Now, when some of you go to work, you work in a company where just by the passage of time, you get certain benefits, you get seniority, if you will just by the passage of time. But you may have worked with somebody who's been there a long time, but they're not necessarily good at what their job is. Or they're not uh, you know, very proficient or an enjoyable teammate, even though they've been there a very long time. In fact, there might be a few people here who are hoping that somebody who has a lot of seniority that they are working with goes ahead and retires. You know, There's an early buyout plan. Get them out of here, right? Get rid of that. Because even in our work environments, we know that sometimes seniority alone doesn't produce effectiveness. It doesn't produce growth. You can be a Christian for 30 or 40 years and your faith may not have matured. Very possible. Very possible. And at the same time, you might be like Timothy in the Bible, who's probably in his 20s, and he's given the job to lead a church. And he's saying to himself, I'm young. I'm young. People know that at my age, I don't have a lot of maturity. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, now let me remind you. Just because you're young, you shouldn't let anybody look down on you. But you should, even as a young person, and then he starts giving the language of maturity. You should set an example for people in your life, in your speech, in the way you conduct yourself. And when you do that, the church is going to be blessed. And so sometimes we think that it's a matter of time passaging or age, but the truth is that spiritual growth is not automatic. Number two, sometimes I think we think because it's spiritual that spiritual growth is mystical. It's mystical. That's the next blank. Spiritual growth is mystical. That somehow it's ethereal and unknowable. And while we can't really grasp it all, 
it's so in the clouds that we just kind of get close to it. And if you're kind of close to it, that's good, and somehow it kind of rubs off on you. But the truth is, is that spiritual growth is not mystical. It's quite practical, and the Bible speaks a lot to it. Most of our New Testament, most of our New Testament, most of it, is written to help churches and followers of Jesus grow up in the faith. So there's a lot of material in our Bible about spiritual growth and how it works. And so it's not as mystical as it may seem. In fact, in just a matter of a few weeks, you can, if you want, literally pull out a piece of paper and begin to chart out a path of growth for you. It's one of the exercises we're going to do together. I'm going to give you some tools to do that, where you could sit down with a piece of paper and a few tools, and you can chart out some opportunities, some growth environments where you can grow up a bit as a follower of Jesus. It's not as undefinable as it might seem. It's not unmeasurable. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to actually show you the passage that measures spiritual growth. And if you want to know where you fall, just kind of bump your life up against this passage and say, how am I doing on that? So by the time we get done, you're going to have some tools, and we're going to pull it out of the clouds and bring it right here in planet Earth into your everyday life. Because what I want for you this year is for this year to be your greatest year of spiritual growth. And for that to happen... You have to understand it. And the good news is, is it is understandable. It's not so mystical. Myth number three. Spiritual growth is instant. Spiritual growth is instant. Here's the truth. That's not true. (laughs) Spiritual growth is not instant if you find the right key. Spiritual growth is a gradual process of development. And there's really no shortcuts to growing up. Today, we're going to dedicate, you know, five kids. They're all very young. And over time, not because of time, but over time, they're going to grow. Over time, when they get the right food, when they're in the right healthy environment, when they get sleep, when they get vitamins, proteins, if they're in a relatively healthy environment over time and they take in the right things, they're going to grow. But it's going to take a while. And there's going to come a point when they're in middle school and they're going to hope, they're going to wish they could speed the process up. They're going to be halfway in between a season of childhood and adult and puberty's going to be running in them and body changes are going to happen and they're going to be hoping, every one of them, can I just rush to maturity? But they can't. You can't speed it up. You know, some of them are going to tape their ears back because they think their ears are too big. Some of them are going to like hang on a pole to stretch themselves a little bit, you know. They're going to make you buy all kinds of chemicals so that their bodies don't smell. When your middle of school son comes to you and talks about Axe body spray, do us all a favor. Buy him one bottle at a time because they will just go crazy with Axe body spray. It's just, they're just in an awkward phase. And when you're in an awkward phase, you want to grow quickly. And sometimes you go through awkward spiritual moments. In our development, and we can't rush them. Now, while you can't rush them, we can create an environment where over time the right things are occurring and spiritual growth is natural. It happens. So the path to spiritual maturity is very similar to the path of physical maturity. And it can take time, perhaps even years, for spiritual growth to occur. If you look around nature, you see things grow at different rates. When God wants to grow a mushroom, it takes about six days. But when he wants to grow an oak tree, it might take 60 years. 
When it comes to your spiritual growth, there are things that God will accelerate in your life. And there are other things that will take a lifetime. And one of the things that I've learned in walking with Jesus for a while now is some lessons I learned a long time ago, God takes me through refresher courses. And it's almost as if I have to relearn what that particular fruit of the Spirit might mean in this season of my life. So it's not instant. But all around us, you'll find people trying to find the right spiritual truth the right experience, the right conference perhaps to go to, and if they can just get into that place and find the right key, then they can propel themselves into spiritual maturity. But it doesn't happen that way. Those moments can be powerful. I have moments in my life that were powerful for my development. But even after that, I had to get up and move forward in life. So it's not instant. But at the same time, you can move forward beginning now. So number four then, spiritual maturity, some people believe, equals what you know or is measured by what you know. But that's not true. The Christian life is not a matter of creeds or convictions or even doctrine, although it includes all of that stuff. What it really is is a measure or it's a a life of conduct and character. Spiritual growth speaks to your character, what's going on inside of here. And over time, your character will always represent itself on the outside. But in churches, sometimes it's easy to think that it's a matter of what you know. And the spiritually mature among us are those who have all the right language and know all the right stuff. I can unpack this for a while here, but would you take it at face value and at least contemplate this? In my spiritual journey, I've known people who've known a lot of doctrine and knew all the names and places of the Bible, could pronounce them correctly and quote the scriptures. But when you looked at their life and the way they loved people, there were major deficits. And so there is an importance to what we know. And this church is taking dramatic steps to make sure you have all the tools to know what you need to know. And over the next few weeks, you'll discover some of that. In a few weeks, on March 26th, we're having a baptism, but we're also on that night going to have a core rally where we invite everybody who calls this church home, primarily volunteers, but anybody, and guests are welcome too because it's not a private meeting. And in that meeting, I'm going to describe for you some ways we're going to help you grow in knowledge. But here's the goal. I don't want you to simply learn the Bible. Our goal is not to know more of the Bible. I want to teach you the Bible so that you can learn the God behind the Bible. So that you can know his character. So you can understand his heart. And that the pages of scripture then aren't a blockage to your growth. They become a vehicle by which you know God more. And you understand him better. And knowing the scripture then is just a tool to help you know God. Which is a subtlety that I think gets lost sometimes. So if you don't know the scriptures, you feel ignorant, you don't know all the terms, it doesn't mean that you can't contribute to a spiritually healthy environment. It doesn't mean that you can't mature. The metaphor I like to use here, and you'll hear this one over and over again, it's one we've landed on to kind of describe the season of life our church is in, is that if I come to my kids and I say to my kids, hey, there's a bunch of Legos on the table, I would like for you to build a house with those Legos. So they kind of know what a house is, and They kind of know how to put Legos together and they each grab from the pile and they begin to put Legos together. Here's the question. How many Legos approximately does it take to build a basic house? 
I haven't done the math on that, but let's just make up a number. 100, 200, 400 pieces of Lego to build a house. There's a a relatively limited number of Legos that it takes to build a house. So if I want my kids to build a house, that's what we're trying to produce. How many Legos do I need to pour out on the table before they can begin to build a house? Is it 1,000? 10,000. In our house, we probably have about 10,000 individual Legos. No lie. I have four kids. We buy them. That's one of the things we don't sell. If you're selling Legos, as long as you'll sell them cheap, I will buy them from you. I'm a sucker for Legos. And when the kids aren't looking, I'll play with them. It's fine. So we love Legos. But here's the question. How many Legos do you need to build a house? And if I give you 1,000, do you have enough? What if I give you 1,000 and you get started and I pour 9,000 more on it? Does it really help you to build a house more? Here's my point. There comes a point when knowledge of the Bible alone doesn't produce spiritual growth. So even if you only have a little bit, you can begin to build the life. God can begin to build the life that he wants to build in you. You don't need a whole lot more to get started. And at the same time, if you have 10,000 pieces, you might be able to leverage intricacies and, you know, um, creativity on a level that maybe if you only had 1,000, you couldn't. So it's important, but it's not essential to the growth. Next myth, number five. Sometimes we believe that spiritual growth is a private or personal matter. It's a private and personal matter. Now, the truth is, is it's very personal. But in the Bible, and this gets lost in us in our American culture sometimes, spiritual growth is very much a community event. God puts you around people to grow you. So the idea of sitting in a room just with a book open, that will only take you so far. There are community and communal experiences that happen when somebody wants to grow because the ultimate fruit of spiritual growth is how love gets expressed in your life. It's Galatians chapter 5. We'll spend a week on this one. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it's almost as if you could put a colon there, and the next several words describe the kind of love that is exhibited in the life of a mature follower of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and that's defined by joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. I can't pull it out right now in my head. Make a note. I'm going to write it down for second service so I can cheat, all right? But that's, that's what's going on. And so while it's very personal, it's not particularly private. Our spiritual growth gets worked out in your marriage. It gets worked out in the people you go to school with. It works out between your siblings. It works out in the people you serve in a local church. One of the reasons why we want you to serve is not because we have a lot of work to do, but we believe that a serving environment gives you a chance to grow spiritually. You don't believe me? Get ready. Like, get ready for a for a serving environment. Get yourself up, get dressed, show up, be there on time. You know, be totally ready to interact with people and something will happen. You'll hit every red light. You'll come to church so that you can grow up spiritually, but on the way here, you'll fight with your spouse. I I can't tell you the number of people I know who've had fights on the way to church. It's just awkward. My family functions very well Monday through Friday, but on Sundays, it's just harder to get up. Have you ever noticed? I don't know why it is. That's why I make Jill drive herself to church. We don't ride together anymore. Now, we don't ride together because pragmatically I have to be here earlier. But a side benefit is, is we don't argue on the way to church anymore. It's kind of nice. 
right? Now, look, you step forward, and you're going to discover that whenever you're around people, you're going to have an opportunity to live out the lessons God's teaching you. Somebody's going to say something to you at church, and you might have to bite your tongue. Somebody around you, when we do the shake your neighbor's hand thing, won't shake your hand, and you'll have to do some self-talk. Like, really? Really? They're not going to shake my hand. Really? And you'll have to kind of, you know, and you'll tell, the, the enemy would love to whisper, so it gets worked out very publicly. While it's personal, it's really not private. And as we're a part of a family, we all have an investment in your growth. You have an investment in my growth. Trust me, you want a pastor who is continually soft-hearted before God. You want me growing. You do. And I want you growing. One of the reasons I want you to read the Bible is my job gets easier if you're actively engaged in taking in God's word. I like to say it this way, five chapters a day keeps the pastor away. It's just easier. It's just much easier. You're nicer when you're growing. I'm nicer when I'm growing. It's certainly personal, but it's not private. Number six, some people believe, and I've touched on this already, all you need is Bible study to grow. But the truth is, is that's one-sided. And our spiritual growth is multifaceted. It takes worship. And I know that for some of you, the music doesn't connect. But did you understand that when you sing songs, you're very much in a biblically approved mode of spiritual growth. When you sing about God's awesomeness and how it works out in our lives. And the very act of singing together corporately, lifting our voices together and sometimes singing lyrics that you say, do I even really believe all of that? Like, I know I'm singing about not being afraid and we're free. But am I really not afraid and do I really feel free? And you, maybe you don't, but you're singing it and people around you are singing it. And it creates this environment where you're somewhat pushed. You're compelled, you're pulled towards growth of those spiritual truths. That even on the day you feel the most fearful, you truly don't have to be afraid. Because of how awesome God is. And on the day that you feel the least free because of the work Jesus has done, you truly are free. So we need not only Bible study, we need worship environments. We need serving environments. We need environments where we're fellowshipping together. We need environments and experiences where we're sharing the love of Jesus to others with our words and our actions. It takes all of that together and God uses it all to grow us. One of the reasons why four times a year I press you hard to bring a guest to church with you. It's not just because we want more people here, although we do. I want you to bring a guest with you so that while they're sitting in the row next to you, you start experiencing church through their eyes. Let me tell you something. If you bring a guest with you to church who you know needs God to touch their life, and you know they need a deeper connection with God, maybe a beginning connection with God, you listen to how I preach very differently. You start praying for me while I'm preaching. God, don't let Ben screw up today. It's taken me a year to get this guest here. I'm surprised they're here. I pray, Lord, it's one of those Sundays where it goes well. And I pray we don't sing that one song, but instead we sing this song. And when we're doing the little hosting thing, you're paying attention. It seems like it's dragging on. God, help them. Help them speed up. Right? And when it comes time to fill out a connect card, you're praying that person fills out a connect card because you know if they do, we're going to follow up on them. And if they don't, we're not going to have a met. If you don't bring a guest with you regularly, here's what happens though. You start evaluating your experience at church very differently. 
you start going, you know, I don't know if I like that song, which is fine. You can do that. But you're evaluating it now largely on personal preference, not the impact it's having on the community around us. Or you say, I don't really need that message today. I'm kind of spiritually mature. And you might be. The truth is, some of you don't need this today. But when you have a guest with you or you have family members who aren't, you're sitting there saying, go, Ben, preach, preach it. Because even if you don't know it, you know it's important for the family to hear the message again. So one of the reasons why I want you to participate in evangelism is because it puts your heart in a place to be soft to your own spiritual growth. God breaks your heart for people, and in that brokenness of your heart, he grows up your spiritual maturity. You see how this works? So spiritual growth is a big, big deal. So then if it's such a big deal, why is it some believers don't seem to grow? And the truth is, is some don't. That's not just perception. Now, just a word about perception. It's possible that the people around you are growing and you don't see it. Sometimes there's a lot of growth happening under the ground before you ever see the thing happen on top. It's possible. It's possible, ladies, your husbands are growing faster and better than you even realize. I have to say that because often I hear a woman, she'll write on her Connect card or she'll whisper to me or shoot me an email, and I love it when they do this. Pray for my husband. I'm worried about him. Right? So I love it when that happens. Keep doing that. And I will. I, I will. But I just want to encourage you to understand that just because you don't see the fruit yet doesn't necessarily mean they're not growing. Doesn't mean they're not growing. Parents, just because you don't see the fruit yet doesn't mean they're not growing. But one of the best things we can do to help people that we are concerned about grow is put them in, in environments where spiritual growth is likely to occur. So for me, it's making sure my kids have friends, not that they're perfect, but that they're generally going in the same direction. Not all their friends, I can't manage that, but some friends. And when those environments are happening, I'm making sure they're in those environments often. And I'm praying, God, use it to grow them. I don't want my kids to come to adulthood and be physically mature and spiritual infants. I can't fix all of that, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them in environments where it's likely for them to grow. And I'm going to challenge my kids to serve. You do what you want. Because I want them bumping up against some mean Christians on occasion. I want them to bump up against a mean, ugly-hearted Christian. And they come home and they say, Dad, we're at church. Why would somebody talk like that? And I get to say, well, why would they talk like that? Because in my kids' mind, because they're kids, you should never act like that if you're a Christian. And by the way, my kids are right. So why do people? It's very simple. Because they haven't grown up yet. And I want to have that conversation. I don't want them to fall victim to the idea of everybody's not acting like a Christian, so I'm not going to. Do you know where this is going? Go to church anymore. I wouldn't want my kids to do that with their car. We had our oil changed in my daughter's car once. And they didn't put the plug in right. They stripped it. I was ticked. Because it cost me several hundred dollars to have the oil pan repaired. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't say to my kids, hey, they screwed up on changing oil. That's the last oil change we'll ever have. I didn't do that. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? What I said was, doggone, it's going to require more effort and a few hundred dollars. And we might have to go to a different oil change place. Because that place didn't make it right. That's it. Lesson learned. It happens. But I want to have those conversations. And I want my kids to know that spiritual growth requires an active participation on their part. 
So let's talk about why people don't. Number one, often people don't, they don't, people who don't grow, they don't examine the direction of their lives regularly. They don't examine. And yet all through scriptures, you're encouraged, I'm encouraged to examine my life. So Lamentations 340, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 11, which is a passage about communion, which we did last week. It was a beautiful time of just our family celebrating communion with the Lord, the Lord's Supper. And there's a passage in here in 1 Corinthians 11 that says, when you do this, take some time to examine yourself. Because if we're more discerning regarding ourselves, we're not gonna come under such judgment. The idea is you can examine yourself and you can prevent, if you'll do this, you can prevent some of the negative consequences of your bad behavior from coming to you if you'll just pause sometimes and say, God, what do you wanna show me? It's like you're in an argument with your spouse and God, what do you want me to do right now? Or it's after an argument (laughs) and you are mostly right. So let me give you a benefit of that. You're mostly right. You ever notice how in the most arguments you're mostly right? You ever notice that? So you're mostly right. But this passage, this idea gives us an opportunity to say something right. So I'm mostly right. However, is there anything I can learn? And we're encouraged by Scripture to examine ourselves. Problem is most people don't do that. You know what I'm good at? I got a PhD in this. I'm good at examining you. (laughs) And I'm good at examining my kids and my wife, and the people I work with. I'm good at that. Black and white world. When it comes to me, though, I see shades of gray. No, not 50 shades of gray. I don't see that one. I just see shades of gray. Right? Because I'm not as good at that. But that's what the Bible encourages me to do. This is Jesus' words, before you pull the speck out of your brother's eye, do what? Pull the two by four out of your own. Right? So we invite Jesus into our lives, though. Sometimes the bottom line is, is we give him the parts of the life we know to give him. But over time, he begins to show us that not all of our life has been fully given over to him. This is spiritual growth. And he shows us over time what's left to give him. But to do that, you've got to examine, God, is there anything here for me? Do you want to grow me at all? God, is my attitude really right? I know I'm really frustrated, but is my attitude right? And it's what I'm frustrated about is, what, is it one of your values? Number two, sometimes people don't grow because they don't feed on God's word often enough. And while spiritual growth is not simply a matter of what you know, you will limit your spiritual growth if you don't feed on the Bible, on God's word. Deuteronomy 8.3. They're encouraged here in this passage to teach, that the, that the Bible teaches, that God teaches, we're encouraged that that you teach that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's an Old Testament passage. Jesus quotes it in the New Testament when he's being tempted. In a severe time of trial, he says, hey, look, here's what I know. I know that I'm not to just eat bread and take care of my physical body, but I'm supposed to be just as diligent to take care of my spiritual body. And I feast not just on bread, but by everything God says. For years, as my kids were younger, Jill and I would try to take them to nice restaurants and expand their horizons and, you know, culture them a little bit. And they would order, you know what they would order, parents? Chicken strips and fries. Chicken strips and fries. Right? So we'd go, you know, I don't know, Montgomery and Boathouse, and it was chicken strips and fries. And then we would go maybe to, you know, Jeff Ruby's 
restaurant a couple times, you know, and there'd be chicken strips and fries. I'm like, come on, you know, I'm trying to grow you up a little bit. Now my kids are much older. Guess what I wish they would eat? Chicken strips and fries, right? That's a different lesson. But the point here is, is that you got to have a diverse diet spiritually. You got to read beyond just the passages that you typically go to. A disciplined pattern of eating well. Romans 10, 7. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Paul's talking here about how people grow, how they begin to believe, how their belief grows. And he says, here's what happens. There is no growth without accepting the words of God. Your faith actually grows as you receive the word of God. That's why, honestly, today what you're doing is wonderful. You're helping yourself grow because you're receiving the word of God. Number three, sometimes people don't grow because they don't apply and practice what they learn. If you were to ask me today, Ben, where should I start growing spiritually? I would have a question for you. I would say this. <clears throat> what is the area of your spiritual life that you already know to do better in, to grow in, and you just simply aren't paying attention to it? What is that sin that you're already struggling with? You already know it. You already feel convicted by it, but you're still dabbling in that. What is that relationship that you know needs a better boundary, and yet you are wide open, and, and it's now you know, a possibility for a foothold for the enemy's work in your life? I would ask you to start with what you know and begin to apply what you already know. So what do you already know? People don't grow, not often because of ignorance. That's what we think. Oh, if they just knew better. No, it's often because they don't apply what they already know. And your spiritual journey will be marked. If you look back over the last several years, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, it'll be marked by seasons where you did know and you simply ignored. You did not apply what you already knew. And when that happens, it puts up barriers in your spiritual journey. That's why James, one of my favorite books in the New Testament, you can't read the book of James without feeling convicted. I just learned this as a Christian. Like if you need a good dose of Christian guilt, some of you do. You were raised on it, and you don't get it often enough. You know, you just don't feel like you've been at church. So here's what you do. You go to the book of James because you can't read James without getting a good old dose of, mm, you're not where you need to be. So here's what James says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Luke 8, Jesus talking. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Here's the fourth reason people don't grow. They don't pass on to others what they're, what they're learning about growing. They don't pass on to others what they've learned. In, in the 12-step program, some of you are familiar with this. You've had family members you've gone through this. There are 12 steps to addiction recovery. In the first step, you know, it's kind of admitting you got a problem. A lot of us know about that. When we, we even hear jokes about this. Hi, my name is Ben, and I'm a recovering pastor. You know, that kind of stuff, right? And so a lot of us know the first step. Do you know what the 12th step always is? Here it is. I'm just going to tell you. The 12th step is always, now go help somebody struggling with what you just defeated or what you're defeating. And there's something powerful that happens when you turn and you take the brokenness, you take the experience, and it's the thing that you had to work through. So it's very personal. 
You know a lot about it. Your experience has created, your testing has created a testimony in your life. Your trials have turned into triumph to some degree. And that's powerful. That's step 11. But step 12 says, now you want to cement this? You want to not revert? You want to not go back? Here's what you do. You talk to other people about it. You help somebody who's struggling. One of the reasons why I want to get you involved in a ministry environment is so that you can begin to pass on to others. I don't get to do it a lot, but sometimes even after I leave this room to go out and say hi to people as you're exiting, I'll pass by our kids' area. And I see people in there who on a very, you know, um, small, intellectually challenging level, emotionally challenging, but not, and they're delivering little pieces of God's word to these kids. Jesus loves you. God has a plan for your life. You can trust God. Very basic stuff. Now, it doesn't match that adult's experience. That's not where the adult is. But the adult is giving back to that kid something powerful. We see that over and over again. But let me tell you what's happening to that adult. They're refreshing themselves in those lessons. They are actually cementing for themselves the very truths that they're teaching. One church I served in, um, I made a bit of a blunder. And the, as the Lord often does, he uses it for his glory. And we were so desperate for volunteers. It seems like that's a challenge from different seasons in church life. And so uh, my wife and I had dinner with this couple, and he was serving and she wasn't. And I looked at her and said, why aren't you serving? She's like, well, nobody's asking me. And I'm, like, I'm asking. So we got her plugged into a Sunday school class, and she was going to be the teacher in a particular Sunday school class. That was the model of church that we had. About three months in, we'd been checking in with her. She's doing fine, getting the tools she needed. About three months in, she says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, sure, I'd love to talk with you. She said, hey, you know these Bible stories and stuff that I'm teaching? Sometimes I feel like I'm learning more than the kids learn. Like, good for you. That's awesome. And I thought, you know, I've heard that before, conversation over. She said, and I just wanted you to know that I went ahead and decided I'd be a Christian too. Yeah, because in my church, if they had known I'd put a Sunday school teacher in that wasn't a Christian, that would have been a problem. So I'm not suggesting you do that. <laughs> that was a fail on my part, right? Big fail right here. Question one should be, well, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And if they didn't have anything, I probably would have. But what happened was she just started engaging God's word. And in an attempt to give, it literally opened up the gospel to her in a way that sitting in services and worshiping hadn't done. That's why around here, we'll let people who don't follow Jesus serve. Now, we don't let them teach. That was a mistake. But they can greet. They can take up offering. Right? There's a lot you can do. Because we think that if you get in and you begin to pass on, you actually begin to grow. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The way this thing works is, is God wants you and I to be a part of propelling it forward. And so part of your job as a Christian, your job description is the building up of other people. And if you're not doing that, then in some regard, you're not fulfilling part of what you're called to do. There's a lot of reasons people don't grow. But if you'll hang with me for the next few weeks, you'll be able to walk away with a plan of your own spiritual growth. And I just want to say this to you, and you may not believe me yet over the next few weeks, though I hope you'll trust me. You have no idea how awesome and wonderful God's plan for you is if you're not growing spiritually. I'll say it another way. If you were to know just how much 
awesomeness God has planned for your life, you would let go of everything that is holding you back and you would press into your spiritual growth. People who are never readers, they pick up a book on occasion. People who are incredibly introvert, they go to a small group on occasion. People who can't carry a tune in a bucket, they would lift their voice and sing on occasion. Because when you know just how much God has planned for you, when you begin to get a glimpse of that, it propels you. It draws you closer to him. He wants you to grow, not because he's mad at you and he's frustrated, but because he has a world of incredible awesomeness waiting for those who are giving their whole lives over to him. And I don't want you to just hear things and not move forward, so why don't you grab your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I will tell you that there are a few things um, that we've done in the last several years as a church that gets me fired up more than the subject we're talking about today. And I'm very excited over the next few weeks to share with you how we as a church are going to help you. And I'm excited to give you a clarity on your growth. But it could be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. And so all this growth language is just missing for you. So what I want to do now is give you a chance to take next step A and begin your journey with the Lord. It says, today I'm going to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. We believe that if you will agree with what the Scripture says about you, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you can't save yourself by any amount of good work. But if instead you'll trust the work that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection as the vehicle, as the doorway for your relationship with God, we believe if you'll do that, you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And he'll wash away your sins in a moment. He'll lead your life. If you want to do that, please take your pen and check next step A. Put it in the offering bucket when it comes by and pray with me in a minute. And use my words or use your own and give it to God. Or how about next step B? We showed you a video about baptism on the front end. We'll be talking a lot about this. It's part of, of the normative experience in the New Testament. You put your trust in Jesus and then you go public in baptism with your faith. If you haven't done that and would like to, or you'd like to have your questions answered about it, just check the box and again, put it in the offering bucket and we'll communicate with you. Now, next step C simply says this, that send me the links to the 4C small groups that are still open. So we just got done with signups and they're beautifully stacked. I mean, we, we have an incredible array of small groups, but if you did not sign up for a group, but as I'm talking today, you'd like to, there are some groups that are still open. If you'll check the box, we'll connect you with those. If you're not in a small group, let me strongly encourage you. There's very few ways to grow better than in a small group that's on occasion talking about God's word, praying together, and meeting together frequently enough to get to know each other's names. Now, next step D says, hey, I'm interested in building up others and serving. If you check this, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send you some links for opportunities to serve around here. Doesn't mean you have to, but you're gonna know what those opportunities are. All right? So if you're interested in helping build up people around here and, and helping them grow and knowing that when you do that, you're going to grow, just check the box and we'll close the loop in communication. And the next step B is one of the ways as a church we're growing. It's about our 4C core rally, which again, every volunteer, please come. If you're a leader, we really want you to come. But if even if you're our guest, you just want to know what we're about and where we're going, this is the meeting for you. And that's March 26th, 4 to 6 p.m. We'll feed you a light meal and uh, we'll help you out that way. And if you check the box, I'll send you all the info. Let's pray about this stuff right now. Now, Father, I want to thank you 
today because you didn't just invite us to have life with you. You said that in this life, you would be with us, you would grow us, you would lead us. And so, Father, we come to you as a congregation asking that you would grow us up. God, there's so many areas in which we need to grow. But today, we focus on the spiritual growth, the growth of our faith. Lord, I'm praying that this is the greatest year of spiritual growth for everybody in this room. That at the end of this year, they know you more, they love you more, they follow you more clearly. I pray this, Lord, for myself, for all my brothers and sisters in this room. We join with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I can't save myself. So I trust the work that you've done. I trust in it alone to secure my relationship to you. God, as we go from this place, I pray that we would be more aware of your presence. I pray that we would walk in boldness. I pray that the amazing, awesome life you have planned for us of freedom and clarity would be ours. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.